Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action Wisconsin. And welcome back after our one-week hiatus. We don't take a lot of breaks, but it's nice too. And Robert was on vacation, and we figured it was a good week to take off. We're really happy to be back. And yes, that means Robert Craig is with us, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Good to be back. Robert, where the hell were you? Our listeners, they, they, they've they been, Brian, our producer, also works at our office regularly, just said the phone lines were jammed all week, wondering where the hell was Robert Craig? Thankfully not. But um, uh, St. Croix River uh, in Taylor Falls on the other side of St. Croix Falls, hiking area. In, a, in, a, in an Airbnb right on the river. So though there were mon- there was monsoon rain unexpected Wednesday and Friday just pop up stuff that wasn't in the forecast so that was a bit of a challenge but well we we for folks who don't know if you're new listeners we record in Milwaukee we got monsoon rains this morning much needed it's bone dry here so Robert I'm glad you had your vacation that's good it's important and I know it was with some family which is also always good And I I did get stuck in a dirt road that was damaged by loggers going to a remote hiking place at Governor Knowles State uh Forest but um was uh was pulled out on chains by very friendly Trump supporting men in large uh, large wheel trucks so good a good uh uh you know uh, bipartisan interaction I'm sure that went great. I'm well, I'm glad you were and able I to can say get that I think situation. the Democrats have been stuck in the dirt and now we're hopefully in this election beginning to get traction to get out of it. Well, we'll talk more about that later in the show. We're well, we're actually gonna start the show by talking about President Biden's uh, news on Wednesday, and we record Thursday morning that uh, he's got a plan where he's gonna forgive student debt and uh, he's gonna forgive. $10,000 worth of student debt to a lot of folks, but for folks who also uh, had Pell Grants up to $20,000, this is very significant. Robert, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because we've talked about this before. Um, we are very supportive of like forgiving student debt. We think this is extremely important. Um, it's a whole nother and maybe a whole damn show, Robert, about the unaffordable cost of higher education right now uh, that and, and, and this doesn't necessarily address that. But Robert, we've been long supporters here for giving student debt. Tell us why this is uh, um, a big deal. And I why is Elizabeth Warren, uh, for example, excited about this? Iona Presley. Why? Why are folks on the left very excited about this? Well, we know this is a crisis for young people because there has been a bipartisan conspiracy on higher education. Higher education used to be incredibly affordable, nearly free in the 60s, and it's been chipped away, chipped away at. When I went to school in the 80s and 90s, it was had gotten much worse, but it was far more affordable than now. So we're talking about state governments, state legislatures disinvesting in public universities, but we're also talking about higher education as the most hyperinflationary sector other than healthcare, and very unaccountable. And 
So this is something that just uh, young people are not able to start their lives, not able to establish themselves because they come out with crushing uh, debt. And often the college degrees they're getting do not get them the kind of jobs that even pay that debt off easily. You know, doctors can't complain so much because they can rapidly pay off their $200,000 in debt because they're making so much money. That's not the case for most. And it's much worse. This is, the, the Republicans are telling a big lie that this is elitist, that this is to help rich white kids who go to Harvard. This is not. This is for 120 people who make $125,000 or less, which is, uh, shall we say, not what most Ivy League graduates are starting at, especially if they're living in one of the deep blue city, expensive cities in our country, which they likely are. And in addition, the worst problem is among low-income people, people of color, Black women being the most affected group because they end up with massive debt relative to their earning power. They often aren't, aren't even able to finish these degrees. They don't have sufficient supports and they end up with the debt anyway. So this is, has a huge positive equity impact. Now, the It's only significant, Robert. It's significant. And I think that I'll just say I was a bit surprised. I we know we talked about this earlier this year that we were expecting something from Biden in August. We didn't know what it was going to be. Um, the progressivity of this was surprising to and me. And I think that that's that. important because, Robert, you mentioned some of the you you talked about the deinvestment on the public side. That's very real. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, those rates go up significantly. But on the private side, not only just the you talk about the Ivy League or the traditional like for yeah. your for your these predatory uh, uh, private schools that went after folks. Yeah. Uh, all of this stuff is in, has disproportionately impacted lower income folks, um, no doubt throughout, no matter where you live, whether you live in rural or uh, urban environments. And black women have the largest debt. OK, and it's over 40,000 average. So here, and so this is a don't, that's a lie that this doesn't involve equity. I didn't mention the federal part. I was on a student financial aid commission in the 90s as the statutory designated student member for five years. I was there at creation when the Clinton administration decided they were going to shift from a grant-based to a loan-based system. And it was going to be popular, just like welfare reform was popular because students could afford college but they'd be held accountable. And they used to brag about how you couldn't even use uh, bankruptcy to get out of these loans, that they were accountable. And they thought that that toughness would make them make the make it popular. And they all they did nothing and no one would do anything in the establishment about hyperinflation in college. And there's only the Republican arguments are trash. Tim Cotton, Cedric Markinsall, all the rest, which are about this fake elitism argument. Tim Cotton went to Harvard, by the way. Uh, but then, which a number of these folks did, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, they're all we know where the populace. senators we know where the senators yeah. come from, Robert. So the, the will be a critique I've heard change. is not Nina Turner. I love her, but saying that why not all of it and throwing shade on it. I, this is a huge step forward and we need to understand most progress is going to be step forwards. The best argument I've heard against is Ruben Gallego, the congressman, Democrat congressman from Miami, who says, look, this doesn't get at the core of the problem. In fact, it enables colleges to yep. inflate rates even more and it still doesn't deal with the heart of the problem. In fact, it's moral hazard because 
a number of them may raise their tuition knowing that th this debt has been forgiven. So that is the strongest argument. That's not an argument against doing this, really. That's an argument against stopping with this. Yeah, and I mean, look, that argument means that uh, basically people who are taken advantage of should be the ones who bear the brunt of a structural inefficiency. Look, this has to be corrected, Robert. I, I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that this does not, and we don't want to pretend it addresses the, the fundamental problem of higher education is insanely expensive. And it it basically puts people into poverty. And and, and of course, it, it we're, we're seeing it at the university level. We're starting to see rates drop of people even attend, uh, you know, applying in some in some cases uh which which is disturbing but it's it it is clearly pricing out a lot of folks so uh robert and i was going i would talk about on, the equity on, on the biden piece particular yeah so what was i thought he was going to do this all along so he kept delaying the interest accruing again he couldn't just leave uh students high and dry he promised 10,000 the pleasant surprise was 20,000 for the lowest income students, students who are Pell Grant eligible. In fact, they don't even have to have had Pell Grants. They have to have been low enough income to meet the eligibility. As I said, the $125,000 cap on who gets this, so wealthy doctors and surgeons will not get this, and or, or very wealthy lawyers, but there are plenty of struggling lawyers too. Uh, uh, and then in addition, one of the things the Clinton administration built into the law in the 90s, I was present for this creation was, was an income contingent repayment plan where yes you could get the you could get a repayment based on your if your income if it was low but it did not often keep up with interest so you lost ground that's how people who paid $40,000 for college end up with $100,000 loan obligations and it's called negative amortization is the policy term for it and this changes that so no one can lose ground. That is a huge equity advantage. And that actually addresses, you know, some of the some of the, the, the low income working class kids who have massive debt, partly because the debt balloon, because they had to go to these income contingent repayment plans. Look, uh, before we end this conversation, this is the beginning of this conversation. This needs to be broadened, as we said, into both looking at what further can be done to address the debt that a lot of folks have, because this isn't enough. And, and the folks who who state that, that in opposition are, are right about that. And we agree. Uh, but we got we got again, we got to address what we're doing uh, in, sec you know, at post post-secondary education uh, in this country. Um, and before we go to break, every time this issue comes up, I, of course, here in Wisconsin, think of Scott Ross, someone who very early uh, was sounding the alarm bell around this. And so shout out to you, Scott. I know you may uh, listen to the show, but um uh, someone who very early was out there talking about this issue, but uh, folks, this is a I big deal. I think Scott. it will also, I think it will also play a big role in trying to motivate why students, younger folks, uh, people who just out of college who are less likely to vote in an election, might be more motivated uh, to have some. That's something that impacts them personally. Robert, you got the yeah, last. I just one. saw Scott Ross at the Mandela Victory Party, and I agree. He, I. I who knows maybe Scott's listening so you got you got me if I if if you're listening Scott but I just say I think Scott is more of a 
of a communicator who is who is putting out communication as opposed to consuming a lot of it. Well, you know, shout out to him. He was he was rightly outraged about what was happening and, you know, would would repeatedly at meetings bring it up and just be like, hey, this has I want to remind everybody this only gets worse. So anyway, Scott, uh, hopefully you're happy and see this also as the first step to addressing this. We got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. We are the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Robert, there is some big labor news that you and I have to talk about. And it involves a union that both you and I worked at, uh, Service Employees International Union. I uh, started as when I came out of graduate school. For folks who don't know, I attended UWM. I was a in the master's program and uh, got involved in the graduate assistant union, was the co-president before I left and went into union organizing. And that's where I met Robert. Uh, and when we, I was working as an organizer uh, at SEIU and Robert was the political director and he came to help us on an organizing campaign in La Crosse at Gunderson Lutheran. And of all things, Gunderson Lutheran is uh, tangentially involved in the conversation we're about to have about the UW hospital nurses organizing uh, and uh, Robert, so it, full circle, this would have been 1990, oh, geez, 1998 that we met. 99, because I know when I graduated, got my there, PhD, so it couldn't there you be go. earlier than 99. So. 99, organizing uh, nurses in lacrosse, and we here we are. This is white hot issue. These nurses lost their organizing uh, rights under Scott Walker, under Act 10, very famously, and have been fighting like hell for the last few years to get those rights back. And they had a vote last night, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Apparently, I think 99 or 100 uh, percent for a three day strike in September. If UW Hospital and, and the, the broader uh, network, the whole system doesn't recognize their union. Robert, your thoughts. Now, I was going to tell everyone I hired Matt into the political program, and I'll leave it to the audience to judge whether that was a good idea or not, because that has had ongoing consequences in Wisconsin. Uh, but let me just say that that's how we talk about organizing the politics and outside of uh, actual u direct union organizing. So I was did a lot of political work for the UW hospital nurses and other other professionals their their techs various other other scales of professional and hospitals complicated institutions and i can tell you uw hospital used to be a fully public institution that was very accountable and under tommy thompson starting there and continuing under doyle they'd been working their way into being more private they got themselves designated a public authority rather than public uh, in the under the Doyle years, they were attempting to build a whole new hospital under the authority of a different entity, so they could avoid union the union and and deny the the union recognition there. So they've been this way well before Act Ten, and so what it's been happening is you know in in, in more progressive cities, right? Your Madisons, your Eau Claire's, uh, they recognize the union despite Act 10 and negotiate with it. Milwaukee Public Schools just under this. I'm not being giving being comprehensive, just examples. And so there's been a campaign by the nurses at UW Hospital 
to get a voluntary recognition because Act 10 prevents mandatory recognition, right? They can't run a campaign. In fact, in order to get at SEIU, Scott Walker didn't just make collective bargaining hard for public authorities because we at SEIU not only were using, had to use a public authority model because UW Hospital morphed into that, but we were using it to create an, an employer for all the 10,000s of home care workers around the state. So Scott Walker and his team didn't just make it hard like other public employees, they eliminated all collective bargaining for employees of public authorities, which are public entities in Wisconsin, just different than the state government. And so, the, by the way, these were the dirty little secrets behind Act 10 that often weren't discussed. Yeah. They might be this little castaway line at the end. Oh, and by the way, the UW hospital nurses will lose their union rights. Folks, all together. Re really quick, just to give you a s idea, because you may be thinking, oh, nice hospital how large this is. This is the largest system in the state. Obviously, Aurora is larger because it has so many facilities, but we're talking about over 2,000, I think 2,600 nurses which would be eligible uh, for this union. Very, very large institution that if could be organized, could maybe help start to lead the way to other organizing around the state, Robert. And you got you got two different conspiracies here coming together. You got the union busting, which is not, which is a power grab to shift power away from workers by the ultra rich, by the corporate lobby, WMC. Let's not pretend Scott Walker just had an idea. There's power behind this. This was all about power. It. Yes. That, it, so that's what we don't. By the way, that was the brilliance of Scott Walker. Right. Yeah. He understood what the Democratic power structures were and set about destroying it in the first three months of his administration. He was and brilliant that way. On the with the, on the behest of his big financial donors, that would he thought would make him president. Correct. So that is there's that conspiracy. Then there's the fact that UW Hospital is, despite being uh, public has been functioning and expanding around the state. You see the billboards very much like the other hospitals, very much like, like an Aurora. actor, and they want to avoid unions. So this has been a pressure campaign, and it took a little bit of work to get the Governor Evers on board, but he is on board. But this, the, the only leverage here, because the legal leverage has been taken away and the legislature has been gerrymandered, right, is to is public shame and it is fortunate this is that their 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 big their big concentrations in Madison, a very progressive area, but they have to begin to think this is so so damaging for their public relations, for which they spend millions on, that they should treat with the union. Otherwise, the folks who run this thing are are are, are no different than the board of directors for pharmaceutical companies, in my view. These are and, not and, charitable actors. Or and so to actors. that end, folks, we have a request. One, you share this podcast and encourage people to listen to this conversation and, and, and to start and to support these nurses. I also want you to share news. There's plenty of articles. We'll have links to them uh, from the Journal Sentinel, the State Journal about this. Share it in your social media. Support these nurses, these courageous nurses, right, who are pushing back in a state where they functionally have had their rights taken away and are trying to use collective action to get them back. We need to support them. Robert, you get the last word. So I just think this is part of the fight for healthcare generally, because 
the power of institutions like UW Hospital, like Aurora, like Ascension, which is the largest nonprofit hospital chain in the country and has a big footprint in Wisconsin, um, that power is also what denies us Medicaid expansion, what denies us affordable health care because they have aggregated to themselves, aggregated to themselves price setting and they and they 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 set exorbitant prices. People have massive medical debt. They send bill collectors after them. And we need justice both for the workers because nurses are widely popular and, and are being exploited and they need a voice at work. Plus we need to shift control from these actors to democracy. They shouldn't be, make, be able to make these decisions about our health and our access and the cost of healthcare or about the rights of workers. Think about it this way, right? Like in, in the same way that our educators, our organized educators, you know, regularly are the ones who are the first to call out what's going on, you know, in a school district, what is impacting education of our kids, right? And and they're some of the strongest advocates for our kids. Nurses are the same thing for us as patients. And they're they're our best advocates. And we have an absolute moral responsibility, I believe. I'm just to support these nurses uh, in this effort against this incredibly powerful healthcare system. And that's why we're talking about this. So please, um, we're going to keep talking about this. Hopefully we'll have someone on from the union uh, before uh, the three-day strike to talk more about this, but we need to get involved. We need to support this. Um, Robert, I want to talk about a broader connect to this, okay? So nurses, we have an incredible shortage of nurses. Huh. Teachers, we have an incredible shortage of teachers. Huh. New report out this week, Robert, public employees are leaving at the highest rate in decades due to a tight labor market and an aging workforce. This is not a shocker. Public sector's always been about three or four years older than the private sector. But now we have with hyperinflation, right, and and certainly wages rising in, in, in some of the competitive uh, areas where the public sector competes for employees, hemorrhaging uh, workforces. Uh, and, and of course, this is all under just the multi-decade now assault on these workers and on public uh, institutions and public services in general. Robert? And I know I'm calling out the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party because its complicity and, and it, its actual direct action on this need to be called out. It was Bill Clinton who announced the era big government is over and bragged that the federal workforce was uh, the size it had been in 1960. Like a country much larger, with much more going on, needed a smaller federal workforce. Well, that has been translated to the state level as well. So we've hollowed out state government, local government's being hollowed out because this legislature, and quite frankly, Jim Doyle was not great on this either, not as bad as they are, have, have abrogated their role. They have a role where they're supposed to share revenue with local government. They've cut them off. I mean, Milwaukee County is on a is going to have less resources, including all of its taxation, than its mandated state services within three years, I believe, roughly. And so they're in death spirals, some of these local governments. And so and then, of course, we, they've adopted this whole model that we that the way to have efficient, effective delivery of services in the private sector and corporations is to exploit workers. And you know what? The chickens are coming home to roost. 
we're going to talk more about the chickens and the roosters who keep charge of the chickens <laughs> after this break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We were talking just about the chickens and the roosters. No, we're, we're, we're not. We're, we're talking about Robert laid out really well what has been going on in, in terms of the lack of investment in major public services over decades now. And still we're struggling, right, to even meet those needs. Well, Robert, I just, I want to bring this up in the context of what's happening here in the state that you mentioned. And so, for example, Governor Evers, and this is where, you know, we as progressives have a different take on what's uh, the right way to go. I proposed this week the idea that we should have a tax cut. Um, and at a time when you just mentioned all the areas uh, that are underfunded, let's remember we just came off assigning essentially a Republican state budget that underfunded education. And, and that's all coming home to roost. It's all part of the shortages. It's all part of what's happening, right? That a lot of folks, you know, listening to this, especially if you have kids in school districts are well aware of the shortages that are going on. So at a time when, right, like those resources could be needed, the idea that we would further cut back on the available resources in a way that just seems about an election ploy, right? Like, because this isn't going to happen because this would need the Republicans. Robert, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because to me, this um, this doesn't help build the kind of movement we need, but I understand, I understand where it comes from, but I don't, I don't agree with it. Robert. Well, it's not coming from the national Democrats. So this is why I've been saying for a long time, it's like the state Democrats are stuck somewhere in the 1990s. No polling indicates this is the magic bullet. This is a, a tick, like they just default that this will be popular. Um, it doesn't recognize how underfunded so many things are in our state. And it buys into the Republican big lie that there's plenty of money to just give it all back. And of course, they think the people who deserve it are the people already doing the best. That's how their tax cuts work. And you know what'll happen? He put some progressive elements in it that'll help very low-income working class folks. Republicans have guaranteed a majority because of the two Supreme Courts. They won't pass those parts. Last time Tony Evers went and signed their tax cut, their regressive tax cut, and claimed it was for the middle class. Um, if he does that again, if he's reelected, I'm telling you, we're going to seriously consider protesting him. And Look, here's my attitude on the, the moderate wing of the party. We, we need them because progressives and moderates together can outweigh the fascist party, which has become a fascist party. It, so it's a coalition. We're like a coalition government, but it has to be tough love sometimes. So I understand we need to reelect Tony Evers. Don't get me wrong, but we also need to be honest. There was no consultation with nope. progressives or anything on this. He is just shooting from the hip from the far right of the party right now. And frankly, it does damage because look at it. The public policy forum came out with a report just reported in the news uh, on Thursday that uh, uh, African-American kids, Latino kids, that on the AP tests, 
they're, they have a huge failure rate, like thir only 30% low 30s pass where 60% of kids overall pass in Wisconsin. That is because we dramatically underinvest in education. The kids who have the hardest circumstances at home are the poorest, get the worst schools. All you have to do is look at the physical plans of Milwaukee public schools versus the gilded suburbs. And you know- Let's it. invest that surplus in physical plants of schools to get them HVAC prepared. Let's let's put some public resources in the way the federal government has yeah. invested, right? And Mass gone and, mess. and had progressive ways of funding it, right? Not just some, right? You know, people you know can't what? get to jobs because mass transit's a hot mess, and we we feed the highway beast with federal money we can get. Uh, so that is, uh, so those horrible racial disparities you see in Wisconsin and and other economic economic income inequality generally is partly linked to the inability of people to get around their own areas if they don't own a car, and they often may own a car but it's a unreliable car and it's shared by multiple people. Yeah. Childcare: a lot of people are out of the workforce because they lack childcare because we don't have paid family medical leave. The other parts of Biden's agenda, crickets from the governor of Wisconsin on all so of that. So with that, Robert, I'm going to shut this off because we'll talk more about this and we've made our we've made our comments. It's not real. It's not going anywhere. So it's done. It's over. We're moving back. Let's I want to get your thoughts, Robert, since it's we were off last week. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act. OK, it's passed. We talked a bit about that on this two weeks ago on the show, but it is still it's a because it's so huge and significant, it's kind of complex. And we are holding an event tonight, Thursday night. Uh, most of you, when you listen to this, it's already going to have happened. Well, you're lucky this event uh, called How to Talk About the Inflation Reduction Act. It's going to be in our links. Go watch it uh, because we want to help you and help all of us be on a learning curve as to just how to talk about what's in this in a way that's positive, but also honest about where it either falls short or where it's just a stepping stone and significant more work needs to be done. Um, we want to provide you with some basic tools and information. So go watch that. If you have the good fortune of maybe, maybe we got this up Thursday afternoon, uh, it's going to be tonight from 6 to 7 p.m. on Thursday. Watch it live if you get a chance to see it before, but otherwise we'll have it taped. Please check it out. Robert, tease our listeners. Give us the highlights, right? We don't, I don't want you to tell them all the best parts. I want you to tease them so they will go watch it and then start to go take action and start talking to people about this. What, what, what's the most important thing people need to know about the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, this is an act that makes has breakthroughs on climate, on health care, climate's the biggest one, and on tax fairness, taxing large corporations. Part of the way to talk about is to understand how social change is going to happen and what it is. We are not claiming it resolves the climate crisis or resolves the health care cost crisis or is the last word on tax fairness. We believe at Citizen Action, if you actually look at our power as progressives, that we're gonna to have to do this in steps. We're not in a position to create the ideal progressive society. We don't have the votes at the state level or the federal level. At the federal level, even with a Democratic majority, 
with a 50-50 in the Senate, we don't. And so the real test is this, is this go in this right direction? Does it help people in the short term, a serious number of people or address, make a major step on a problem? Is Does it increase equity rather than making it worse because income and racial economic equity have gotten dramatically worse every decade uh, since the 1970s? Um, and is it a, build, a building block? Is it a stepping stone? Is it like Social Security and Medicare where you could pass them in a much diminished reform, but people understood you could build it out and we added to them over the years and that helped encourage a movement, now it's on us to build the movement, to build it out. And that's why I don't have much patience for the critics who want better because this is the radical end of the possible. People were shocked. This, the radical end of the possible is what Joe Manchin will sign off on right now unless we get a net two of U.S. senators, which we could get right now with Mandela Barnes being one of them. So this is a huge step. I can get into the details, Matt, but I'm going to say that that is the framework for understanding what it is. Now, if you do, if you want, Matt, I could get into this. Yeah, no, look, I, I let me just say I appreciate that framing because I was one of those people who was like, I created the Lucy football meme with Manchin. I was kind of tired of all of it and then pretty much assumed we were going to get a really pared down, maybe some healthcare stuff and a little bit here and there. But this this is this is worth being excited about, right? <laughs> because it's a start. But like I can get excited about something while still understanding we got a long way to go. I can be excited about the fact that this was passed with no margin for error in the Senate. And that's the reality. When Robert speaks of radical pragmatism, that's the pragmatic reality. We had a 50-50 Senate. It was cast with the vice president, right? And uh, making, is, making it happen. So that's that's it. And we got to win the, the we transition. More, we got to win this fall. We should want more. We need to win elections and we need to build more grassroots power and people need to get involved and get off social media, going on social media and saying, why not more does nothing to get us more. In fact, all it does is, is discourage people and create cynicism so we're more likely to lose elections. If well, you want more, you need to actually volunteer and organize like citizen action that are fighting for that and build a bigger and bigger group of people demanding it because the only answer to organize money is organize people and we need more of them. But I just say on climate, this gets us 80% of the way to getting to the necessary climate target that we need to prevent runaway climate change by 2030. It's 40% reduction emissions net, including the bad mansion compromises. We might not have had another chance. I'll just say this, we might lose the house. We're still predicted to, though we need to try to prevent that from happening. We could lose the White House in 2024. Then we're in 2029, it's over. There's runaway climate change, which risks the lives of billions. And in addition, the investments here, they help the, the low, low income people of color the most. So they meet an equity standard as well. They're going to dramatically help places like the north side of Milwaukee, where most African-Americans so, in Wisconsin live. So folks, we got to take a break. If you are skeptical, please go watch the watch our training and hear about our take on it and with that we have to take a little break here at the battleground wisconsin we are citizen action welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action 
Robert before the break was talking about the Inflation Reduction Act and why it's historic. And again, we want to encourage you to please watch the training. But Robert, you started getting perilously close to talking about elections. And I get excited when you do that because I'm so damn excited about this election. I'm one of those people when the pollsters, which by the way, they never call me, but when the pollsters call me about this election, I would be the very excited uh, category. Um, and it's because of what you just talked about and the idea that we have a chance to remove Ron Johnson and replace him with Mandela Barnes. If that shit don't get you excited, you can, yeah, why are you even listening to this podcast is what I would say. And if you find a way to show up to the polls on November 8th, I think it is, right? Is it the 8th? Yes, on the 8th. And you have done nothing to help elect Mandela Barnes other than, as Robert said, talk on on FaceSpace or Twitter. Uh, all those places are great. I'm on them a lot. But you got to go do some doors. You got to make some phone calls if you can't do doors. You got to talk to your neighbors. You got to learn how to talk about the Inflation Act because you know what? Ron Johnson voted against it. He voted against everything that is our values about going forward. And we got to get engaged in this election. And to that end, folks, we are kicking off Wednesday night, August 31st, our general election work for Mandela Barnes. Uh, we did a ton of stuff in the primary. We did this in partnership with our national network, People's Action. They are again partnering up and doing huge work and helping us uh, put this program on. They're also recruiting volunteers from all over the country from our network. We have over 30 states in our network, and this is their top priority. And so we're going to have dozens of people every Wednesday night from all over the country making these phone calls. And these are not just your standard, ordinary phone calls. We are doing a version of what I'm sure folks we've heard here, deep canvas, which means we're having longer conversations with folks good conversations. We're talking more about who we are and why they need to get involved in our movement, but really diving in with folks and having deeper conversations. Want to encourage you to make those calls. We're going to have a place where you can sign up. We're going to do those every Wednesday night, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. And you can be a part of a whole national movement that's trying to help elect Mandela Barnes because of all we talked about, how absolutely important this seat is. So please uh, go go RSVP for that. And then doors. Most of us can do doors. Many of us are really good at finding excuses why we won't go do doors. They usually involve things that involve our fragility and inability to <laughs> challenge ourselves to go talk to people. And that's okay. We all feel that way. But we need to overcome that. And I'm challenging you. What better person to be your first door than Mandela Barnes, to go out and try to help elect Mandela Barnes. So I'm gonna encourage you, we're gonna be starting up in the middle of September with weekly canvases in every region that we have a co-op, that's Wausau, Claire, Green Bay, Appleton, Southeast Wisconsin, starting in mid-September. Uh, generally, we're hoping for at least by the 17th. So we'll be talking more about that, but we'll be out every, every Saturday and more days uh, knocking doors, talking to really important voters that are going to matter in this election. Robert, the other big news this week, and I'm going to kick it to you to talk about this, is um, we had our second round of endorsements here at Citizen Action that were announced this week. Our board officially endorsed 30 
two more candidates. Uh, and these are both uh, federal congressional candidates, a statewide candidate, and mostly state legislative candidates. And most of these endorsements, very important here about citizen action, came through recommendations from leaders and members in our organizing co-ops who did the interviews, read the questionnaires of these candidates, and made recommendations to our board. Our board makes all final endorsements, but we're trying to have a real democracy here, real people's organization. And we want to thank all of the members who participated in that process. And we're going to have more uh, uh, of these processes coming up and including next year. So please join Citizen Action, get involved. Robert, talk, tell us more. This is like, this is super important. And uh, the other thing, in addition to Mandela Barnes, in these areas, we will be helping targeted state legislative candidates who we care deeply about, who share our vision on trying to make a difference, pushing back against those gerrymandered state ledge seats. Robert? Well, a lot to say here. I want to second Matt on the importance of doing door work. Look, it can be frustrating. You see all the dark money enabled by this U.S. Supreme Court. You see the massive record spending from candidates themselves. You see the disinformation kind of ads from Tim Michaels and now Ron Johnson's attack on Mandela Barnes, a scary new member of the squad who will make us unsafe. Um, ha! They can reach a lot of people and it has an impact though there's a point of diminishing returns where it doesn't matter as much Alex um, for but they have to buy absolutely tons of ads in order for distracted people who are trying to watch tv to even notice them like it used to be an ad had to be shown four times for someone to know it existed now it's like 12 it might be higher and so they have to saturate to catch your attention and they have to be simple and ridiculous in-person communication is still much more transformative. If you want to move someone, persuade them to do something different they were going to do, either vote if they weren't going to vote, maybe they vote in presidential elections and not in midterms, right? And Robert, we will be talking to a lot of those folks in all yeah. of our regions, very important people in an off-year election. Or folks who are cross-pressured. The swing voters, we have this image, and unfortunately, I think the Evers campaign team does too, that they're moderates. They're cross-pressured. In other words, they might, I know it's hard to understand, they might simultaneously be really upset about the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but also afraid that immigrants are going to harm them because of the right-wing propaganda. And if you talk them through that, we will train you on the right methodology, they then work it through. If they see the immigration lies as an attempt to divide them in order to hold power so they are denied health care, for example, they will. See, they are available to that argument. They're not hearing it on TV, nor would it persuade them because they're not going to pay the kind of attention they do to someone having a conversation with them yeah. in person. And this helps explain, I'm going to go a little further, why we thought Mandela Barnes was so important. We don't believe that these, quote, independents and whatever are somehow ideologically stuck in the middle on all this. As Robert said, they're cross-pressured. They pop on different things. Take my neighbor, for example. You try to take his concealed carry away from him, he'll shoot you. But you know what? He's a big union bus driver, and he's going to vote Democrat, Democratic because he 
thinks the Republicans are trying to destroy his livelihood. He's also Latino. And so it's easier for him. But that's how a lot of voters are, right? Like that aren't super ideological like a lot of us that, you know, tend to be on the left of most issues. There are there are a lot of people in our state who like might fire on some Republican things, but they fire on a lot of our stuff. And so who is connecting the most, right? That's what we think is happening in a lot of these races. And and I'm convinced that's why Ron Johnson's super unpopular with those folks, right? And that's why Mandela Barnes, you see in the new polling that shows him with some leads, folks don't think that, don't ever assume that lead is super big. This is a swing state. Whoever wins is going to win by a point two, maybe four, if it's a blowout, right? It's how do those people that they fire on it? And you saw independence moved right away to Mandela. Well, a lot of that has to do with they don't like Ron Johnson, but they're also somewhat inspired by Mandela. They swung by like 14 points, right? That's That has to do with somebody being authentic, telling a, a good narrative about who they are that actually is real. And that's what you're competing against as opposed to like, oh, some ideological point in the middle that's going to move these people, right? Robert, you get the final word on this topic before we have to go this week. Look, I, I'm excited that the left has gotten to a point where we have big aspirations. We want to create real social democracy. That wasn't true a decade ago. That is a recent accomplishment. I felt like an outlier on aspirations a decade, two decades ago. But we need to understand, we got to do the work to get there. There's this notion, it's sort of like social media has made everyone their own editorialist. And you think writing that editorial that Biden should do more uh, or Evers should be do more does anything. By the way, with Evers, he'll do more if we build more organized progressive power and pressure him, because, but in a tough love way, because we need to be in alliance with him and he needs us too, he needs progressives. And so there is no shortcut, no alternative. It's easy to be in the peanut gallery and take pot shots or say, gosh, this is terrible. The Democrats can't pass this when they said build back better. What did you do to help make it pass? I mean, if you didn't do anything, then you don't have much right to complain. I'm sorry. Okay, now, Robert, let's cool it off. Now, hey, folks, let's let's, let's be more about what we're going to do, right? We're going to sign up. We got a link where you can go sign up to get involved in either our phones or our doors. Uh, and, and those are really important. And I'm just going to break here. I got some breaking news for y'all. We're going to have a contest. Whoever volunteers and does the most contacts by door throughout the state in our program this year is going to win tickets, third row behind the visitor's bench, Bucks tickets for two. Uh, it is a gift of our president who believes so importantly in this work. He, I was talking with him, just believes that this election is vital for Mandela and the whole idea that we have to get out and be talking to people is these are his tickets. They're fantastic. And he's thrilled to put them up uh, to the winner. So, folks, uh, please go sign up the RSVP. We'll follow up with you uh, on all the opportunities that are going to start up in uh, August 1st, this Wednesday, but then in September with our doors. Folks, we got to roll. We're already late. We try to keep this a tight show. We'll see you next week. Thank you at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>